What's up? <laughs> hey everybody, welcome Strong to <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Earthborn Games podcast. I'm your host Anders Carlson and joining me is the cast of Earthborn Games, or shall I say the staff. Uh we've got Evan Simonette. Whoops, wrong order. How's it going, Evan? Hey, good. Good. I, I would prefer to continue talking about Legos, but I suppose we can talk about work stuff. Yeah, we've been talking about Legos and how to how we can dupe our children into thinking we've bought them new Legos by uh, using our old Legos and then using, uh, I don't know, graphic designers and on all that, just a really elaborate scheme to not have to pay for Legos. And we I have the talent. And I'm wondering what kind of Lego sets would you guys, uh, you know, create for them? Well, that's the thing. It could be any kind of Lego set you want. I was really into building spaceships as a kid, and I'm pretty sure some of my spaceships are still in those bins. You know, mm-hmm. they've attritioned a little, falling apart from, like, movement. But, like, I bet I could reconstitute a couple of my childhood <laughs> spaceships from in there. <laughs> I was always terrible at building things with Legos. I had terrible imagination for it. So, like, I think if I were to make a made-up Lego set, it would just be, like, a random mash, a symmetrical mash yeah. of <laughs> Legos in a shape, and then I'd have to come up with a name for it. And then you'd write the instructions for it and everything, <laughs> how, to, how to assemble uh, that mash. Yeah, I guess I could do it, and I could do, like, pictures as I go, and mm-hmm. then do renders for them. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, yeah. You're an artist. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what to tell Legos you. Legos just don't spark it? <laughs> no, there's something about the medium that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I just, I, I, huh. I, I, I don't think I spent enough time with Legos as a kid to really, or like building sets that actually worked. Every time I played with Legos, right. it was just, here's a random assortment of Lego shapes, and I just start putting them together. So it, mm-hmm. it's more like uh, doodling with Legos mm-hmm. is what I would do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I everything like looked like something ish, <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't go in with a vision for what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I never liked Legos for the same reason. They're so angular and just rigid, and I guess you need like thousands of Legos to make something actually cool, like they have at the Lego World or whatever. Um, <laughs> by the way, that's Andrew Navarro and that's Andrew Fisher. Everyone's Hello. been introduced. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> This is our Lego day. That's right. (laughs) We're all getting a little loose. Legos or Lego? Like plural. Mm. Lego? Legos? I asked that once because I did an Instagram post with Legos in it. And I asked, is it Legos or Lego? And I think it's Lego. Mm. I don't like that. I don't like it either. I don't like when people do that. We can Even if it's correct. Hell we want. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to stop us. No. The the controllers I dare them the... to try. <laughs> <laughs> Their Lego cells couldn't hold us <laughs> when they put us away. <laughs> Would you ever say I'm going to go play with my Lego? You think no. someone's going to go play with one Lego? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, totally. <laughs> Speaking of Legos, I I saw this uh, story uh, today. I didn't click into it, but it looked interesting. Where they're making these just like hemp sustainably grown like hemp building blocks to build houses out of but they're effectively just legos to build like your your exterior walls of your house whoa yeah and that's what i heard about that too and i was like how long it's crazy that it's taken this long for like real life legos to be a a thing i feel like that's something they must have been working on forever 
I would yeah. definitely build it. It seems so obvious. Hemp, yeah. Hemp yeah. Block USA. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Revolutionary Hempcrete. <laughs> mm. huh. That's it, cool. It was, it was cool. Yeah. Just build your they, house like a Lego house. It doesn't disintegrate in water. I'm curious. It's probably secretly really efficient, like energy efficient and durable. Must be. I would think so. Or else, you, you know, still you, you build your house and just washes away. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yeah. seemed like it would be like, a, it seemed like looking at it, it seemed like it would be like insulation and structure in one. Mm. Um, mm. But, but the the, the catch is they send you uh, multicolored blocks so you can't just, color coordinate your home. <laughs> you just get a bunch of crappy. It looks like one of Andrew's red. creations yeah. from his childhood. Yeah, <laughs> all primary colors. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. Maybe I could afford a house then. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> um, they build you know houses out of sh- you know shipping containers and stuff now. I'm on. Yeah. I'm totally into it's cool. It. I stayed in one of those a couple weeks ago. Oh really? Yeah, it was yeah. fascinating. It was like uh, it was very intimate. Uh, a friend of mine, you know, invited me to stay. He said, "Just so you know, it's really small." I was like, "Okay, yeah, I know." But then when I got there, I was like, "Wow, it is really small." <laughs> I was just kind of <laughs> really? wedged at the back um, on this like little kind of half couch with like the refrigerator right there, and the TV was there, and then oh. sink, dishwasher, laundry, uh, the wow. washer and the dryer bathroom and then their bedroom is at the, at the back it's just like we we're all was it just, one? just in one room yeah yeah one shipping container one, one wow. shipping container it was Where pretty was cool that? though uh, i was in oklahoma oh, oklahoma awesome yeah I've, i saw they just built one near here but it's like six or seven combined you know but one yeah one, yeah one's the way to go anyway we've got a great show today we're going to be uh <laughs> continuing our countdown of our most influential games um we're on number three we're gonna talk about what we're doing at earthborn games we're gonna talk about things we're into but first we've got some excellent questions got quite a few and i'm gonna start it off with a question from our youtube comments and this one comes from roberto and Roberto says, regarding the pre-order for English version of the game, are you planning on offering English versions from within Europe for pre-order? Uh, yeah, question. so I'll, I'll answer that one. Um, yeah, so pretty much uh, anything that is ordered in Europe will come straight from Europe. It's not going, like, we are planning a print run there. We're not going to ship it from Europe to the U.S. and then back to Europe. So uh, anything, uh, if you ordered English copy in Europe, you'll be getting it from Europe. So it's not going to be traveling all over the place. I love it. Nice, simple question there. And then we've got one from Wardy J Plays. And Wardy J Plays says, you guys mentioned shipping not being crazy expensive because of the local manufacturing and avoidance of shipping across the sea. I am a backer from Australia. Are we here down under going to be hit with the 100 or so shipping cost? Honestly, I'd pay it, but uh, because I'm so hyped, but I'm still curious. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I thought we should answer this one too um, for a couple of reasons. I think one, the, the shipping, I think uh, the importance of shipping, uh, of uh, you know manufacturing where the uh, product is going to be delivered to, um, doesn't necessarily cut down on the on the shipping cost of you know that like something like a postal service or like FedEx or UPS would charge for shipping. 
what it does save in is freight. Uh, and that's that's the big savings that, that people have been uh, you know getting. I mentioned last episode where people were getting hammered on those expenses. So it's the ocean freight of putting everything on a container and then shipping it across the sea. And um, those costs are so expensive that it's uh, it's almost impossible unless you're a giant company to not pass that along to the customer or the backer. Uh, so obviously in Australia, it, it wouldn't make a difference. It doesn't really make a difference either way. Uh, we'll still be shipping, shipping that those, uh, those out. Um, I don't know what that shipping is going to cost, but, uh, from, from the manufacturer to Australia, but I've already, already planning on eating that expense. But, um, yeah, so far it's not a hundred dollars. Uh, not even, not even close. I'm, I'll talk about a little bit more of my, what I've been doing, uh, over the past couple of weeks, but in the current quotes that I have, they're still very similar to the, um, uh, to the prices on the, on the Kickstarter page where I think we estimated like $45 for shipping to Australia. Hmm. And so far it's, it's looking like that, but, uh, I'll keep everyone updated, but a hundred dollars. No, unless something crazy happens between now and mm-hmm. when we fulfill which you know i guess is possible yeah <laughs> crazy things keep happening but uh, god i hope not <laughs> there are a lot of there were some fires down under i think before I mean, you never know but that's good news for the people down under yeah we love you down under um we do we have a lot of backers in australia and new zealand i don't know awesome. if that new zealand also counts as being down under they're a little bit above down under <laughs> they're down and underneath us is that why they call it that <laughs> I don't know. In relation to Americans, that's why I always assume, but that wouldn't really (laughs) make sense. It would make a lot of sense. It would be, but why would they (laughs) refer to themselves as being down under? Right. Well, maybe because they're talking to us because we're Americans. A a quick Google (laughs) just says it is because it is below the equator. Okay. That's what Google told me. That's a lot of things under there. Yeah. yeah, I know. Like, I'm down under in in, in Africa, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess are we up down over under in Peru? <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, we got another question from Sean via email, and Sean says, "I was wondering if there was a way that you could play Earthborn Rangers in and out." with someone for example if a friend of mine and i can get together once a month to play a session but we each have time on our own to play solo could we structure our play so our time together is centered around the core story where our solo play is focused more on exploration is the relationship between the story and the open world exploration built in such a way where we could part ways on the story do our own thing and meet back up at a certain location to keep the story going for the next time we meet up. I, I, I love this question. I like, yeah. I think a- Andrew mentioned this question to me last week when we were working together, when, when it first came in via email. And I think that this is, this is really fun. I like, so the game does not inherently support like players splitting up and playing their own solo sessions simultaneously in the same world per se however i feel like this could be pretty easily accomplished with some like pretty light house ruling and kind of agreement on how this was going to work um the game has some pretty discreet uh story missions which progress the story and usually have some kind of timer and then side missions which are also mission cards that come into play 
that provide some alternative objectives but aren't critical to the story. And then there's these things we call, we've been calling side activities, which are basically people around the Valley who want your help. And if you help them within the day, give you some kind of reward. And so both the side quests and these kind of side activities are not necessarily critical to the story, but instead add context to the world and might give you hints about the main story, but are very easy to kind of explore on your own. So I think a, if if you and your friend wanted to set up the game in such a way where you play through the main story missions and then you break and agree that neither of you will pursue this mission while you're playing on your own. And then the two of you go off and do your own thing and mark down whichever rewards you unlock or achievements you get or different events you trigger and then come back together and combine your notes together and then pursue the story mission uh, once you're back together, I think that could work with very little kind of retrofitting. Honestly, the biggest challenge would probably just be that uh, some of the missions, some of the more urgent missions, um, such as a flood early on, have some urgency to them. And so if you kind of broke apart, you know, you had your joint session and then you two went your separate ways while you're on a story mission with a timer, you might want to suspend that timer which might kind of kill a little bit of the immersion, um, but that's maybe a sacrifice that's worth it for the fun of kind of doing your own thing and then coming back together in your once a month session. Yeah, the idea that I had, which I think you mentioned would probably make the characters a little too powerful, would be that you would essentially go off and explore the world on your own and then come back together to do the story. Uh, so they essentially put the story on pause while you're exploring and then come back, but you'd have a lot of, you'd have a lot of reward cards by then. Yeah. 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 All it would do was basically let you kind of level up faster than the story puts pressure on you. So it'd make the game a lot easier for you, but you know, for some people that's okay. You know, they just want (laughs) to see the world and then beat the missions. And so, uh, if you're okay with that kind of sacrifice, uh, I think that's a totally, legitimate way to play <clears throat> so cool awesome um we're not disappointing the the uh questioners tonight uh and we got another one from a superstar question asker i can't think of a good word to call these people um <laughs> listener who's asked a question Ro, uh, and Ro asks how did your card design how did your card design work Okay. Did you have a list of cool effects and made the artwork happen later or was it the other way around and you had lots of artwork and then designed effects around that art? If so, was there a card that got an effect for the sketch and its effect got changed when the artwork was finalized? That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, we started, I would say primarily from the design that we did have some art pieces that I think informed some design, um, some some sketches and things. Uh, but there's definitely been some cards that have changed thematically after we've done artwork. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Mostly, I would say traits. But can, can you think of anything, uh, Fisher, that has changed substantially? I have a silly example. <laughs> yeah, great. I do too. <laughs> so uh, yeah. pocketed belt pouch started 
as... Don't tell me that's gone. No, no, it's still oh, in the game. That was like one of the first things I did. Yeah. Uh, no, no. So it started as a... Uh, it actually, I believe it was, it was in the vertical slice, the demo we had for the Kickstarter. But it started in design as uh, having two tokens on it, two pockets. The tokens we named pockets. And these were what you could use to search up a gear from your deck. Uh, and this was was kind of how the design worked. But then we got the art in, and the art distinctly shows three pockets, three pockets on <laughs> on the, the belt pouch. So we we kind of talked it over, you know, would it ruin the balance of the card? And we changed it to have three pocket tokens on it since it has three pockets in the art. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> the, there there have been some more meaningful ones. Uh, we talked about. Uh, on a previous podcast, we talked about the adaptable multi-tool, and it's this really cool illustration with all these different parts that are kind of cover, ho- hovering in midair and presumably can be reconfigured. And that has really informed how a lot of the technology, we think about a lot of the technology in the Valley and how they could potentially achieve some of what they're trying to do with their technology. And so that's definitely informed cards where we kind of built on that idea and then we were designing some of the later cards and, you know... It, thinking about that technology as we were trying to kind of come up with effects. Yeah. One I can think of Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but the static sifter was something else before and it just wasn't cool enough. So we changed it. I think. Yeah, it was, uh, I forget, I forget what it was. Um, was it collapsible basket? Yeah. Yes. It was a collapsible basket, Uh, but we had a static sifter, which is, so a static sifter is, is one of the pieces of the technology in the Valley. That's a, um, uh, the design is totally changed from, I think what, <laughs> what I had originally envisioned. I originally envisioned it as kind of like a wand or like a scythe that you could pass over, uh, vegetation and it would gather nuts and berries and anything edible and kind of funnel it down into like a little receptacle. Then that's how, uh, this is like one of the main tools that the foragers of the, of the Valley would use. Um, and then through, uh, designing the artwork, it kind of became more of like a, kind of like a, like a semicircle thing that has mm-hmm. a basket underneath yeah. it and it does the same thing. Um, yeah, so that was something that was really early on as a, uh, as a cool, like piece of technology, piece of the lore that, you know, Sam had developed. And then it just kind of got lost through iterations and then it became the collapsible basket. And then looking at the collapsible mm-hmm. basket, uh, mechanics, it worked really well with this. It was effectively the same as the stack sifter. So when, um, in one of our many passes of adding theme, <laughs> um, I essentially was like, oh, I kind of, mi- I really miss that static sifter. I'd love to get it back in. And then that was just a really easy target. So not quite the same, but you know, it's a, it's a iterative ongoing process that I, I think we're mostly done with now, but, we don't have all the art in, so there's still going to be some changes to come. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say that um, just timeline on design versus art. Uh, art just can take a lot longer just because of the sheer amount of it. And so, for example, on the expansion, uh, Brooks is already working hard on the expansion. And you know we're still working on the art for the core set um, to, to, to get the core set finalized. And so because of that, just because of the necessity of, of wanting to move it along, some of that design comes before the art. But as you probably heard here, like a lot of that design can kind of be changed and rethemed as we iterate. And Evan comes up with cool ideas or our artists submit cool sketches. And, you know, we can kind of 
one of the benefits of our card effects is that they're abstract enough that they're not necessarily tied to a singular theme. And so we can kind of take a look at that and take a look at how we want to approach the art and uh, kind of massage things to make it work. So in the end, even though we're getting a head start on, you know, all of the expansion content design wise, the art will still inform it, even though the art is coming later. Yeah. I think another thing that informs it too, beyond the art is, uh, is play. I feel like I've made a, we've made a lot of adjustments through play testing. And, um, at least I know that I've made a lot of notes in play testing about this, you know, this test and this card feels weird for the theme we're trying to do, or, you know, like maybe we should, you know, I felt like I should be doing this instead of this. And there's a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of iteration in that regard too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Ro also asks, um, you talked about the card sunken outpost, the one that gets water counters on it to show how far it is sunk into the swamp. My question is related to that card, but involves timekeeping in general. Is the initial amount of tokens on a newly discovered card affected by the time the card is discovered? Is there, for instance, a chance that we find the swamp outpost very late and we actually never find it because it is already completely sunk at the time the rangers would encounter it? It, this is another question I really liked. Uh, yeah. I, I think this is cool and also speaks to some of the way the system is working that I don't think we've talked much about. Um, so the sunken outpost specifically in the example does not do this. It just kind of is flooding and draining all the time. And so when you go there, it kind of has this flooding and sinking mechanic um, as, as the, the the swamp kind of takes it over. However, there are parts of the valley that are beholden to what day you are throughout your campaign and how far through your campaign you are um how, how much how much do we want to do we want to spoil andrew do we want to do we want to talk about what that is or do I, we want to leave I think it if you could talk about it in a very vague way there there are <laughs> events there are certain some events mom, yeah moments? some some certain events mm. in the valley that if you visit a certain place at a certain time, uh, that place will be different because of that event. Um, there's not a ton of these. They're kind of something we were playing around with, but uh, we were definitely kind of playing in that space with, with a few things that I won't spoil too much here, but you, you, you'll have to keep an eye out for it. And I, I, I think you'll have fun with it when you find it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this too. Like uh, just this which I think is something we're trying to capture as best we can within uh, the the limitations of a page count in the campaign guide, really, ultimately, (laughs) what it comes down to. (laughs) And it's just time for development. Um, But uh, yeah, I I really love the idea of a world that is living uh, regardless of of how the players affect it. Like the world would go on and do things. Um, And it's something that I... uh, uh, I, I really like that idea and it really kind of caught hold with me as I was reading um, Dungeon World. Uh, if you're familiar with that role-playing game, I really, uh, I think I don't know, maybe like two years ago, I was uh, reading the Dungeon World rule book. I haven't played it. I love, like I've said many times, I love mm-hmm. just reading role-playing systems. <laughs> don't really get to play them very much, but I really enjoy reading them. Uh, and I really enjoyed uh, Dungeon World. If you like role-playing games, I really hi- highly recommend that you check it out but one of the things they really talk about in that game is to imagine your story as 
having a life of its own and um, imagining what would happen if the PCs did nothing. And uh, where we can, we're definitely bringing some of that philosophy over uh, into Earthborn Rangers so that the world feels alive and feels like you need to participate or you could choose not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just on the feeling alive thing, that's something we've been working on just this week is adding more reactivity to uh like all our various missions to make sure that the people you might stumble across while you're on the mission uh actually kind of n- know the mission is going on and react uh, thematically appropriately. And to Andrew's point about word count, it, it's a hard challenge because, you know, we only have so so many pages in our in our campaign guide, only so much material and, you know, only so much time in the day to actually write all the different things we want to write. And um, so we kind of have to make these hard decisions about, like, where do we want the world to be reactive and where can it just kind of stay static? And we kind of have to make choices about which pieces of reactivity and interactivity with the world uh, get us the biggest returns. And so that's been a, an, an interesting problem. Mm. Yeah. And I think in addition to that too, like something that we were playing around with uh, early on in development was this idea that when you do things in the world, it would change a card. Like for the, in the sunken outpost example, we had something kind of similar where there was a bridge that you could cross. Uh, it is The bridge is still in the game, but the mechanics are different now. But the way it worked in the original version of uh, of the design is as you're walking across it, the bridge is, is slowly decaying. And if you, while you're there, the bridge breaks and falls, um, then going forward, the next time you went, <clears throat> excuse me, the next time you went back into that, uh, that location, um, the bridge would no longer be there. So you'd have to find a different way around. But I think, uh, Fisher, when you, you and I were talking about this, we really wanted to not go too far in having people like manage their card sets too much, uh, cause there's a lot of memory issues around that. And we wanted to make sure that people uh, had an easy way of tracking that. So you do have a little bit of that, uh, in the core set, but, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, scaled down to a very manageable level where you're, you're not going to be customizing every deck and having to remember every little thing you did everywhere, every time you set up the game. Yeah, we kind of made a choice about how we were going to be tracking. And a lot of our tracking is done through either storing your Ranger decks or recording on your campaign tracker. And this enables your core set to be used in multiple different campaigns at the same time pretty easily. Um, We could have taken an approach where, you know, you're customizing and changing sets. And then your organization of the box is really important to kind of the save state of your valley but it really limits the usefulness of your core set in sharing the game with other people, playing a one-off session. Um, we could have taken a legacy approach of having you permanently modify the game, but that kind of clashed with our goal of like sustainability. Part of like sustainable use is reuse, right? We want this game to be playable and replayable, and we don't want to like destroy it and have it be a one-time use game. And so we didn't want to take that approach. And so we kind of settled on this approach of tracking through the sheet to make your core set as universally useful and reusable as possible. Mm -hmm. That actually makes me wonder about um, when 
people are have their hands on the game and they're playing it will there be people who maybe just play the game to see how quickly they can master it and maybe we'll do speed runs of it <laughs> the best way and and <laughs> i hope so and would you be interested in seeing that on youtube and would it be informative of future designs we were just <laughs> talking about our hypothetical speed run what was it how fast we could get down to the swamp andrew yeah 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 because there's a uh well i'll just put it out there if anyone wants to try to sequence break the game there there will be a a way to do it uh but it'd be really really hard to do but i think that's maybe in in the spirit of a speed run cool uh, I love that because you know you can like glitch through walls and do like a video game speed run you can, like glitch through walls and do stuff to kind of yeah, yeah. Your way through I, I love watching that yeah um I think it'd be really hard though I don't know if you could actually do it oh I'm sure somebody could uh, players always astound me with with how good they are at finding <laughs> tricks and stuff but uh yeah we we chose to speaking of choosing where to put your word count we left that sequence break in the game because it is just not probable <laughs> or feasible <laughs> what, to achieve wow. what is the uh win state of the game can we reveal that like what what is the wins yeah yeah that well, was that was actually a question during the kickstarter um mm-hmm. andrew do you want to go ahead oh sure yeah i mean uh y- yeah i made an entire because when i launched the kickstarter in the video so if you like watch the the intro the kickstarter video on our youtube channel uh or on the kickstarter page one of the things i said in the video is that you you can't win or lose a campaign of uh of earthborn rangers it just keeps going and that was a kind of a big contentious thing at the beginning of the kickstarter people like oh well it's just a storytelling game then i was like well wait 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 a minute okay it didn't mean you, there's no bad outcomes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and only that you don't get a game over screen so uh so winning you'll complete the campaign um and it will have an ending whether you felt like you won uh, that's up that's up to you i i would hope that the uh in for all the uh, uh stormlight archive fans out there that the uh the, the journey before destination that you enjoyed your time <laughs> with the game and where you ended up is uh less important mm. than the fun you had along the way uh <laughs> but what's the end campaign then what is that what does that look like well i don't want to spoil that okay okay but okay there's a there's the end of a movie or something yeah yeah well there's there's multiple outcomes uh based on your choices Uh, i think we've said before there's uh, there's three uh alternate endings to the main yeah there's there's three finales all right and there is four and, and then there's how you do it those finales so right even within those different finales you can have different outcomes so i'd I'd say there's probably six meaningfully distinct ways the game can end the story the main story can end yeah but then after that you can continue playing uh, regardless of how of how it ends um and you know 100 the game and that might be winning to some people i did everything Right, that, that is. 100%. There's a very incredible reward card if you 100 percent the game. So. That's true. There, which, which you'll be able to carry. Which people might say, "Oh, well, what's the use of it then if I 100 percent the game?" But then you'll be able to carry that over into the campaign expansion. Yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome stuff. Uh, all right, we have one more question from Caravan. They ask via Discord: In the vertical slice, we received a better outcome for completing the main mission faster. In the full game, will it be clear when there will be time pressure and when we're free to explore the valley at our own pace? 
Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right that leads us to question uh, work stories okay. no no uh, I, I i was you know like i, I we, we have not arranged who's going to answer these questions so i was waiting to see if, if andrew was going to jump in but no, uh, uh yes and it's actually something we're still working on i think that there are some places where um our campaign guide could be clearer on which things have timers and which things don't and but that's one of the things we're working on here later in development is kind of cleaning up the campaign guide and making sure that experience is getting all the, you know, striking the right balance of flavor and information and everything. So it's something we're continuing to work on, but we very much intend for it to be clear when you have distinct timers. Some of them are very clear and mechanical. It, there'll be a thing on the board and you're like, oh, I see when this is ticking <laughs> down. But some of them are a little more nebulous where something will happen in a few days and you're not entirely sure. And so there, those instances are the ones where we're still trying to kind of finesse the language to make sure players understand what might happen a few days from now. Yeah. And I would say even when there is time pressure, you always have the option to ignore the main mission. So (laughs) that's, it's really hard. I can't do that. Like I I feel like whenever I'm playing an RPG and there's a like a something that's important that must be done, I very much get into the story and you know follow along and and uh when the NPCs say hey this is important, I go okay, yes, I agree with you and then I go do it. <laughs> uh but I think for something like a maybe like a second playthrough or if you're just someone who likes to be uh, contrarian to RPG stories, or if you're someone who enjoys the side quests of Skyrim more than the main quest, you're like, ah, forget it. That's not necessarily a direct analogy because Skyrim will wait for you forever uh, to get back to the main story. Then you might enjoy ignoring the campaign and <laughs> just exploring the valley to your heart's content and watch everything happen around you. Uh, that's always the an valley. Option. The valley will move on without you. It, it will. It certainly will. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for everyone's questions. We had some great ones tonight. And that brings us to everyone's favorite segment, work stories. Yeah. And we'll start. <laughs> that gonna... sounded a little too grim, didn't it? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Work stories. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> My favorite. Here we go. Evan. <laughs> Evan, you want to you want to take the floor for a little bit? Sure. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's not much different to report as last time. Um. Still working on art. Uh. Although, with the lion's share of a lot of the character art and stuff having wrapped up, um, I've had more time to work on my own art contributions for the game. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um. I'm trying to. I'm remaining cautiously optimistic that I can complete uh, three pieces a week. And I've already completed two this week yeah. and it's only Tuesday. Oh, nice. So, um, wow. It is only yeah. Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah. yeah that's pretty good. <laughs> but I, there's also a bunch of emails that I have to respond to <laughs> tomorrow. So I think tomorrow's shot, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's coming along and uh, I did just finish a cool reward card that I guess I can't talk. Yeah, about, I guess. But. Well, I was, I was just going to say, do you want to try to, uh, to share that? I think we should share that. Cause that's very cool. Oh, the, the one, the, yeah, even if it's a reward the, card. The one? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Okay. Maybe hide yeah, the, um, maybe hide the name 
but we could show the card. Okay, so it's oh, do you, I can you want me to bring it so up? Yeah, it? let's show it. Yeah. Okay, uh, it's been a while yeah. since we've shared our screens. Let's yeah, let's take a look at something. I just moved it into the shared art folder without I, I, the card framing. I don't even know what this is. <laughs> it's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> you know what? Um, I gotta wait for Photoshop to, to open up because <laughs> it's not a it's not a JPEG that I can just preview. Um, otherwise, it'll have the card framing giveaway. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Shoot, that's top secret stuff. I mean, I, I could just share it a little bit later. Sure. All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let us know when that. it's up. Just, we could te- we're teasing yeah, it. Yeah. We could just we could interrupt yeah. anything that's happening. Just say, "Hey, <laughs> it's ready." Let's. All right. uh, cool. Is it ready? How, no. It takes a long time <laughs> no, to open sorry. Photoshop. <laughs> no, no. I'll I'll cut in. <laughs> Let's talk. It's to, reticulating uh, splines right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a SimCity 2000 reference. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk to Fisher then while we're waiting, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. been it's been busy. I I don't know if it's just because, you know, we were like updated our timeline to uh to to shipping recently, but I feel like a lot of stuff. I I also think it's uh we got done with card councils and started working with the with the partners and so everything's moving. I I felt like uh juggling a million plates this week, but we um got the all of our scripts updated for with new card templates um which is exciting some people may have seen previews of those on some of our foreign uh, foreign language cards um but got those those all updated and updated our tabletop simulator environment to um hopefully show off some demos of the game at some point um so a lot of like behind the scenes updating for a while when i was updating those scripts i was questioning, you know, in like hour six of debugging crap in in like the scripting language, I was like, is this worth it? Have we made a huge mistake doing all this automation? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, should I have just laid this out by hand? And then uh, today, one of our card files uh, is a card type that we don't have enough of to warrant the scripting. And so it's done by hand. And I had to update all of those cards. And after that oh. work, I can safely say that we are not wasting our time. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, I, I'm so done with updating these cards by hand. <laughs> cool. I always wondered how that worked at FFG. Although FFG had uh, some sort of system, right? Uh, it had the, the card database. Did it? I'd yeah. love to so have it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we could have a card database, that'd be awesome. Um, but that I know how long it took to make that card database and how it's still, at least when we left, when I left, it was still, you know, more or less, I would consider to be in a beta state, Hmm. Uh, but it's very, very handy. And we had actual software developers working on that thing. Whereas uh, most of the scripting has been done by me and Evan, which I I have a, I have a a degree. I have have comp sci experience, but I had to dust the cobwebs off of it, you know, (laughs) God, I'm so glad you have those skills. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so most of that's updating, and then, like we alluded to earlier, um, uh, we're starting touching up the campaign guide and the missions, and getting that um, uh, that kind of storytelling experience. We've done a lot of play testing on a lot of the mechanics of the game, but there's still some kind of polish to be done to make sure that story is coming across right. And so that's what we're kind of focusing on next on the development side of things. And that's about it for me. 
Uh, I can cut in with that piece of art. All Ooh. right. Real quick. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off so abruptly. So to now go down full uh, screen, you're going to press. Yeah. What is the command. full screen for? What is it? Do you guys know? Full screen on Photoshop? Uh, <laughs> I, I command had it last F? time. I think it's Command F. Yeah. I'm just guessing. Nope. <laughs> Control, Function, Shift, Alt. No. <laughs> Tab F. Oh, no. That should be the um, easiest Google. Okay. I th- Full screen. Oh, I think I figured it out. I'll just share the screen. It's great audio. Oh, just press, just, F. F. just press F. Yeah. Oh, you don't even have to. Yeah, just F. We're professionals, everyone. Just F it. <laughs> there it oh, is. Oh, this one. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a item or a piece Can of Can you gear. zoom in a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, another piece um, based off of one of Joe's sketches. So all I did was just sort of frame the sketch in in uh, a visually pleasing way, at least in my opinion, in the um, card, how it would frame in the card art window. And then just started inking, I guess not inking really, but um, doing the line art and and all the levels of detail on top of it. And yeah, so for for those it's of you for those of you listening on uh, Spotify, you. you'll have to uh, check it out on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, the the art is in Evan's, you know, awesome. Like I, I don't know what you do, how you do those lighting effects, Evan. Um, uh, just just like all the art in the, the on the Kickstarter, but the lighting on that looks fantastic. But it's a backlit oh, hand holding this kind of dagger made out of some kind of claw with this really cool iridescent effect on it like mm-hmm. yeah yeah that looks awesome evan yeah looks cool great. thank you well yeah, joe, joe's been crushing it on the on the yeah. sketches the last couple of weeks too uh the last batch he turned in that was part of it um so yeah like we turned you turned it around super fast because he mm. he yeah. sent that sketch to us on sunday and you're on tuesday it's finished mm. piece of art already yeah wow it was, it was it, awesome it really yeah, you're a it pro. takes the pressure off me too because I, I don't I, I put a lot of I never know if what I'm making the concept is is cool mm-hmm. or other people like it. So if Joe just hands me a cool concept, all I have to do is make it look as cool as possible. And it's not as much of a burden, like mm-hmm. a psychic burden to do that, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> right. Like you'd be more the the inker and colorist on a comic yeah. book. Than yeah, a that's a, that's a good analogy for sure. That is your, that is your strong suit, though. I do like stuff that you invent from your mind as well, especially those Thanks. hero guys. <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do you want to bounce back to Fisher stuff? Did you say? Oh, I'm good. About... You can go to An- we can Andrew. go to Andrew. Andrew, what Hi. are you doing at at the HQ? Uh, well, means I was going to mention to Evan, like it just uh, when you were talking about inking, reminded me when I. When Joe and I were in high school together, we made a comic book for, or he did, he made a comic book for uh, an English class based on the Odyssey, and then we did additional uh, pages to that comic together, and it was the same arrangement. Like he would do all the pencils, and I would just do all the do all the inking. It was it was super fun. Awesome. What was yeah. your comic book if, uh, publisher name? Do you remember? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> Probably yeah. your, your two initials, AJ. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I, I did do a series of comic book covers 
in middle school, like where I was imagining these long story arcs of superheroes and various things. And I had a whole <laughs> line and I don't, man, I don't remember what my fake publishing name was. I'm sure it was something cool. <laughs> I have <laughs> yeah, to go sure back really cool. to my mom's house and dig through my old sketches to find those. That'd be fun. I did a few comic books like that too. Oh, yeah. Just the covers or interior Mainly stuff? the covers. I was more interested in doing the covers. Yeah. Yeah. The one that comes to mind the most is I, I had a, a, I really was um, fascinated by the character Dak from Empire Strikes Back, Luke's gunner. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I loved I a his action figure of him. Yeah, I loved his name, like just Dak. It was so cool. Dak. What's and his last name? No last name. I, I have no idea. Rendar. No, yeah, that's that's, Dash. That sounds right. Yeah. That's Dash. Dak Rendar. Dak Katarn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I had this, uh, I made this story where Dak did not die when the <laughs> Adat stepped on him, but instead was mm. stranded on Hoth oh. and then continued to fight the rebellion, continued to fight for the rebellion on his own against the Empire, became wow, kind of this cool. like badass secret agent kind of guy. I think you need and, to talk to Disney but Plus. But his man. face was completely flat. Well, it was great because, <laughs> it, like, because of my drawing skills at the time. Like, I didn't. I, I was really. I was pretty good at drawing uh, figures, but not so good at like drawing consistent faces. So I just had him with the the scarf over his face and then the goggles, and then yeah. he was just wearing the the hoth rebel so gear like a mysterious yeah a mysterious ranger lone ranger type <laughs> yeah exactly so i had a series of covers of that and did i did some interior pages where he was like planting bombs and escaping on gliders and stuff dak Ralter. Cool. Awesome. dak Ralter. Ralter? yeah that's 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 no good <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it is dak Ralter. <laughs> i object it, it's tragic because he, he he was so enthusiastic to jump into that uh, airspeeder with Luke. Yeah, he was. Look what happened. He was feeling good. So he's a human. Yeah, he dude. felt I like thought, he could take on the entire else. empire by himself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> if, if anybody, which he is did curious. ultimately in my story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if anybody is curious uh, about the 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 naming scheme of characters in in the valley, uh, just look to Andrew's love of Star Wars names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really they're very Star Wars. Like Ren Kobo. Ren Kobo is yeah. such a Star Wars name. It's very Star oh, Wars. Oh, that, that's an Earthborn game? Yeah. 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 Ren Kobo. But I, yeah, so a, I really, Wars, yeah. what I've, the, the approach that I've taken to naming things, naming characters in Earthborn, is we start out with like a, like a longer name, and then I just chop off combinations of letters until there are only a few left, and then that's the name. Until I find uh, a, a pleasing combination and a nice rhythm to the name. Hmm. What was uh, Ren Kobo? Renaldo? I forget what it was. Some of them, like Quizzy, like Quizzy Voss, for example, she's one of that's another pretty good Star Wars name. Uh, Quizzy Voss kind of sounds like your own thing, though, too. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very inspired um, by the Star Wars naming conventions. But Quizzy Voss originally was a non named character just called Inquisitive Youth. And then I took mm. the letters mm. from Inquisitive Youth and then oh, chopped them I off until now. it became Quizzy Voss. Nice. It's like one of those Mad Magazine things you fold yeah. the page together and it makes a new thing. <laughs> yeah, I loved those. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I haven't been doing any of that these past couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> well, like Fisher said, we finished uh, Card Console. That was, was that last week? 
two yeah. weeks ago. Man. Last Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. It feels like an eternity ago at this point because that was just our life for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it was. Uh, but then after that, I've kind of gone back into business land and have been getting more quotes. Uh, I've been talking to some potential fulfillment partners, getting more quotes and uh, also getting some updated quotes on some of the manufacturing for add-ons. And, uh, man, I tell you what, like I've never really dealt with any transactions as expensive as, as these. Mm. <laughs> it's just, you look at those numbers, it's like, oh my God, I'm so glad that our Kickstarter went well. Yes. Uh, Cause it's very expensive. It's so expensive. Wow. Um, yeah, I did get an updated quote on the, uh, art book. Um, I think we'll be getting some more quotes as well, but, uh, the quote, update quote from the last one i got which was effectively right before the kickstarter it's gone up 50 percent yeah mm. it's a lot it's a lot more uh, i looked at the numbers i was like oh that's not so bad but then i looked went back and looked at the original quote I was like oh wow yeah that went up a lot <laughs> mm. uh how, how many but, games are you making is that something you talk about how many are you uh, yeah i mean well I th- running i'm not 100 sure yet i think we'll we'll print as many as we can afford to print um, so that we can continue to sell them, obviously. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like, you know, we we got a lot of really great support from Kickstarter backers, and we have a lot of people who are excited to, you know, come in and, and effectively late pledge for the game. Uh, but I really feel like, you know, once this game hits the table and people see it and start playing it, start talking about it, that um, there's going to be a lot of interest. So for I want to sure. make sure that we have enough copies on hand to... Yes. Uh, you know, take advantage of that. So I don't want to like, oh yeah, I'm really excited for this game. Like, sorry, we don't have any copies. Like I want to make yeah. sure to have uh, a decent amount on hand. So um, I'm not 100% certain on what the final quantity will be, but uh, it will be definitely over the amount that we uh, had backed. And you know, okay. obviously that's a luxury that we have from having a couple foreign partners on board and nice. also, you know, having a successful Kickstarter. So that makes that, that makes that possible for us. Mm. which is great um but yeah i'm not, I'm not 100 here yet sure yet like i said as much as as much as we can afford to do mm. but that's what i've been doing cool. i'm looking forward to getting into the campaign guide which is what i really want i want to be doing this week and hopefully i'll be able to get into that tomorrow nice but i feel like i'm mostly caught up on emails fun fun stuff so we'll switch Coming. for tomorrow evan you can you can do emails and I will ignore you. <laughs> Enjoy yeah, your yeah. job. Yeah. Oh, emails. Um, does anybody know how they how they generate names for Star Wars? Is there like a convention that they use or George Lucas? <laughs> no, just yeah, George, George Lucas. <laughs> yeah, George Lucas, obviously. Yeah. And what's your favorite? Some Star great Wars ones, though. Name? I mean, man, it's just yeah. fucking amazing names. Han <laughs> Solo, Obi Wan Kenobi. Hmm. Mace Man, Windu. I'm trying to think of my favorite one. Great names. Jar Jar. Was it Mace Mace Windu used to be called Mace Windy, I think. Well, that, that, that's a really? good way, way to change that. Yeah. Windy. <laughs> Pretty sure. Yoda. Yoda. Classic. Great one. Lando Calrissian. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's a great last name. <laughs> a beautiful name. Lando. And only Billy right. Williams, I think, could really uh merit such a glorious right. name. It suits him. 
Yeah, all the names. Wait, what's the little guy in Jabba's palace? Uh, Salacious, Salacious Crumb. Crumb. Salacious P. Crumb. Yeah. How about that <laughs> one? Yeah, that's Crumb. a great Did one. he have it a middle initial? Was it Salacious P. Crumb? B. I thought it was B. B. Crumb. Maybe I just added that. I don't know. <laughs> it suits him. Yeah. And what is a hut? Is a, what is a hut? Jabba what is a hut? He's, is that a, thing? a, is that a real thing? thug man. Yeah. <laughs> Jabba the hut. He's a yeah. hut. There are oh, there are many many huts. Well, yeah, I wonder <laughs> at the time if there were. Well, when he was originally written, I think hut was maybe just a like an honorific, because mm-hmm. he was the the kind of large man in a fur vest uh-huh. that just kind of hassled Han Solo in the hangar. In an yeah, that scene. initial. Yeah. So he wasn't a monster originally, but I think maybe that was the original vision. He was going to be this like big, some kind of something, but they didn't have the budget for it. I could be making how, it up. How about Jack Porkins? Do you guys remember that guy? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone remembers Porkins. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a cult well, Especially following. us since he was an, as in, he was an X-Wing pilot uh, and we, FFG produced X-Wing, which is one ah, of the, you guys, my you guys favorite remember. miniature games ever. It was a very good yeah. game. I'm looking at it. It was a lot of yeah. fun. How about Droopy McCool? <laughs> Droopy McCool. Yeah, that's the, uh, he's the little uh, elephant man, right? Who plays the piano in Jabba's a, Palace. He's playing that's like his a, name? Oh, he's playing Droopy McCool. Oh, that's right. He's playing no, like the elephant thing. is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're being yelled at right now. People are listening. Well, Droopy McCool was the stage name of Snit, who was the lead horn player in the Max Rebo band at Jabba's yeah. Palace. Max Rebo's that's the guy. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's Max the, Rebo's the, the little elephant man. And, and yeah, yeah, Droopy McCool, yeah, plays the like oboe Droopy thing. Droopy McCool looks very much like a Muppet. Big, like, nose. Oh, half of Jabba's Palace looks like a Muppet. Well, they're all done by <laughs> Jim Henson, weren't they? Were they? I'm pretty sure. I, it, would, it would make sense. All right, I'll get off this page. None of these names are shocking you guys. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) That's a great name. Let's talk about our number three most influential game of all time. All right. But before we before we jump in, I have to say that this segment has inspired the fan Discord server to start listing their five most influential games. Nice. That's fun. People who haven't gone over there should go over there and check it out and uh, join the discussion. Um, I, really I think cool. it, it's it's slightly devolved into discussion of Dominion, which showed up on a few people's lists. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's cool. I bet I'm, I'm, uh, I want to look at that. Uh, we'll start with me, I guess, because um, that's what we've been doing. And um, I haven't thought about this one much but it just popped into my head today. Uh, it's a game I played a ton when I was probably in my mid, early to mid-20s. Um, it's probably the only non-video game I'm going to choose. If you, it, it, you know, it's not a video game. <clears throat> it's called uh, Super Checks. Do you guys know what that is, just based on the name? No. I've, no, I've eaten the breakfast cereal checks. Yeah. Super check. <laughs> I had some checks earlier today. Oh, dang. Well, you'd love this game then. No, it's uh, <laughs> checks with two X's. It's that um, hockey game you see at bars and arcades. It's got that bubble. Oh, like bubble hockey? Bubble hockey. Oh, yeah, oh, in yeah. the dome. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay. Um, why do I love that game? Because... The visuals. <laughs> 
it's the, sorry. I, I <laughs> I'm into I'm really really into dexterity games mm. and um the physicality of it. So things like ping pong and uh, air hockey and I don't know bowling, anything like that. Um, I'm really really drawn to, and I feel like I played that game more than any of those other games I just mentioned. Me and my friends would go to this bar in Roseville. And we wouldn't. We didn't even drink. We just played super checks for hours, um, and it was so much fun. And the game is perfect. It it just works when it works. It's it's often there's <laughs> often like a, a few players that are a little bit loosey goosey, you know. But if all the players are working, you, I don't know. Over time, you develop this muscle memory, and um, you can. There's a surprising amount of control you can have over these weird hockey players that can slide on this track and spin uh, 360. Um, it's kind of like foosball, I guess. Um, but man, I was going to ask if amazing if foosball skills translated. But it sounds like you know all those yeah. guys are all in one bar and they can only flip. This sounds far more. It's really uh, similar. It's really similar. They, so you you've got I think maybe so the the goalie just has a little knob and it can slide back and forth in front of the goal like this. Um, and then there's, I think maybe four or five yeah, it looks other, like other players. four others. It looks like from four Google. others. Some of them have longer um, sticks, um, but there's nowhere on the, the board where you can't reach the puck, you know? Um, and you can, you know, you can just wing the puck or you can really like, you know, get it into your possession and then kind of slide it up towards the goal and the other person knows it's coming and you can, you know, take your shot um, in like a spot where they can't reach you. They can't stop you. So you just kind of have to play goalie and, you know, mm. it's kind of like a, a shootout kind of thing. Anyway, it's 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 a really fun game. Um, it's, a, it's a game that I, you know, connected with my friends about for many years and it just has like a special place in my heart as one of my favorite games so that's mine nice yeah i was always very intensely competitive in air hockey that was always one that was one of my favorite me too like site-based games you call it site-based games wherever you're you know you have to go to a place and play it (laughs) like it's not oh site S-I-T-E. yeah 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 Yeah. oh for sure for sure yeah i love site-based games yeah i don't know if that's a term i may have just made that up right now (laughs) but it makes sense yeah games that you don't typically have in your home though i was looking at how much these cost and they're like seven thousand dollars yeah i was kind of shocked by the price (laughs) on these super checks tables yeah i'll go pay a few quarters now and then i've got to find where they have one of these new ones I, i just read on the wikipedia they they started producing like new super checks pros, which I've never tried. So maybe I'll get back. I into think for super me, there's, there's, there's some strange allure to the fact that it was contained within a bubble. Mm. It was, mm-hmm. it's almost like it was a priceless, it was like in a, uh, in a um, museum, you know? Right. And if you lifted up the dome, it would, an alarm would go off and the security guards would come after you or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look. Like... It's got was the super like a checks, light? a light, a light on the inside of the dome too. Yeah, like there's a light on the top with a scoreboard, and it looks like a hockey arena. 
so neat. Yeah. It's really fun. It's one of the games, those games where you, as a child, you might've put a quarter in there and just, you know, spun it around and like crazy. But then when I, you know, was older, I realized there's a lot of skill involved and it's really, really, you know, gets your blood pumping the, the, <laughs> the, um, neck and neck nature of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go play it. Let's move <laughs> on to Evans. Number three. Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for my lighting. Um, what happened? I did have a lamp right here, but we took it out and put another room. So it's okay. It's kind of getting dark. It's getting moody in there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, I really I want to tell a quick story that I had been meaning to tell ever since our our first when Anders you mentioned your fifth favorite or most influential was Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. I have a quick story about that. Um, back when I was about eleven or so, my brother and I got home from school. My parents were still at work, and I was just unwinding probably going to watch TV or something. And my brother burst in and he said that the car was on fire in the garage. And I looked and sure enough, the car was on fire. And we, well, I think he called 911 and we went to the neighbor's house. And in that time, another neighbor backed the car out. Uh, the, The fire engine showed up and was putting it out. My parents showed up and I was sitting there and I saw Nintendo and my um neighbor's living room and i was that was my priority and i asked him if i could play nintendo (laughs) so i played super mario brothers while our car was on fire (laughs) so that's a good story i forgot to tell that last time that's amazing (laughs) thanks Um, you got your priorities in the right place yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um my number three is uh that's right we're on number three we are three yeah yeah the the Mega Man series so that spans several consoles but um that's always been a favorite of mine. Uh, ever since I, I used to sleep over at a friend's house, you know, on the Saturdays or whatever, and he had all the toys. He had Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and the only thing is, we, he was kind of a like a game hog, and I was relegated to the position where I just would watch him play video games. Uh. But he slept in, so in the morning when he was sleeping, I I would I always woke up early, and I would get up early, and I would play Mega Man Four and. I think the maybe it was the early feeling of getting away with that or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, was exciting, but ever since then, I've I've always been a huge fan of the series, and I loved the mechanics, and I loved how even your costume would change, your the color combo of your little player would change when you get new abilities from defeating bosses. So mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, I still really enjoy Mega Man, and I have these. Several books. I think I got them at the source. Uh, comic books. Those like man- manga? But they're, or... they're basically, no, they're like, they're basically collections of all like the, oh, the bad, yeah. like the bad guys and stuff. Oh and God. all the different characters. Oh, it's like yeah. lore? And it, yeah. And it, so, uh, yeah, there's a lore section and then there's just gameplay tips. Dude, that's, and that's like hero guys trivia. right there. That's, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, I, that, that, those kind of books would be my, my jam as a kid, just pictures of the of the guys with the, yep. the stats next and, to it. <laughs> and the, the designs are just so cool. And I loved yes. how the robot masters or whatever they're called were always user or fan submitted submitted ever since the second game. Oh, really? I think little little kids would just write in with ideas and they would choose the best ones. I didn't know so that. So that's why I would get a, that makes a, lot of get sense. a weird spread. You'd get like Dust Man, Pharaoh <laughs> Man, and uh, I don't know. I might be corrected by on this, but I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. I think it was fan submitted. 
That's cool. All right, Evan, which one in the series is your favorite? You mentioned four being kind of a formative experience, but which which is your favorite of the series? Um, It would be uh, Mega Man 3 for sure. Okay. Because it introduces a cool mechanic. You can slide in Mega Man 3. It also introduces Mega Man's brother, Proto Man, um, as like a secret character that you learn about at the end when you beat it. Uh, Has killer music, super cool music, cool enemy weapons that you can acquire and it's the introduction of the sidekick dog uh, mm. role no no not roll oh my gosh uh rush sorry yeah so there's a lot of reasons why three is my favorite for sure so uh have you speaking of proto man have you heard of the band the proto men i don't know i don't think so yeah, it sounds kind of familiar but i don't know they sing Mega Man themed rock opera. Really? <laughs> and they're <Wow>. awesome. <laughs> okay. Actually, if you look in the corner up here, uh, that's a Proto Man uh, snap together model right there. You might be able to see the shield yeah. and the helmet, but. Oh, yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. I never played. So grab I never played three. I played one and two as a kid, and then X. Yeah, oh, X, X is, is great. X, I'm playing X really, right now. I remember it being very difficult. One is the worst, and it has the worst box art, <laughs> <laughs> or the best, at least in the U.S. <laughs> or the best. But yeah, yeah, X is really cool. Yeah, X is what I have nostalgia for because I it was yeah. the one I had for Super Nintendo. Yeah, I think I still have. I think I still have that in the basement somewhere. I'm looking at a fandom. James Niffen is also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I'm looking at a fandom page right now that it it lists every uh, boss and the person who submitted the thing yeah. to the contest, and it says what they named them versus what they ended up calling them. Ah. For instance, there's like Ninja Man was the submission, but then they called him Shadow Man. Oh, for Shadow Man. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. Uh, number two through eight. Were fans cool. submitted by Japanese fans. That's, that's cool. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say real quick, James Niffen of FFG. I don't know if he still works there or not, but he is a big Mega Man fan. And we would talk on the chat service uh, that FFG had nonstop about Mega Man stuff. <laughs> and I'd, I'd always pitch him my LCG ideas or board game ideas. And he was nice enough to humor me and, say oh uh, that's interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah he was he was sequentially cool, playing through he got them all on emulator it was sequentially playing through every single one which i respect because like they're hard mm-hmm. they're hard game. i really had to yep. struggle personally so had to hard. struggle through them quite a bit and you have to kind of know the order in which to beat them right unless you're james because james would play through with just the regular default weapon the mega buster what he didn't Wait, change? he didn't even use the boss powers? That was a special challenge that he oh, that's laid out right. for himself. Jeez, it's such a nightmare to try to play through the game like that. That sounds impossible. <laughs> Plus, it, it you lose a lot of the satisfaction of one-shotting some of the bosses. Like Woodman, <laughs> if you hit him with the atomic fire weapon, he just goes away instantly. Cool. <laughs> it's so satisfying. Just bam. Yeah, I, that's the only way I could play those is once you you know learn the sequence. Um, to do it in that sequence. or Otherwise, it was just too frustrating for me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Man, I'm fascinated by this contest thing. <laughs> there's like, it says there was 
you know, hundreds of thousands of submissions. And then there's this one in Mega Man 5 where the submission was Beat Man. Do you know who that would be? <laughs> oh, the bird. Yeah. No, it's not a bird. It ended like up a being vegetable? Beat. Like B-E-A-T. Oh, like ended a, up, oh, okay, like, like oh, a DJ. A oh, yeah, there's there's beat, there's beat the bird. And there's Napalm. because all the characters are named after music. Mega Man is originally Rock Man, mm-hmm. and oh. Proto Man is blues. But beat is a bird. But this one, this uh, beat actually ended up being called Napalm Man. Do you know who that is? <laughs> <laughs> like you win, Beat friend. Man. But we're gonna do, <laughs> we're gonna change it to Napalm Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't think they quite captured the spirit of Beatman with that name. I don't know. No. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Beat? Yeah. Firebomb right. man. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. Great pick, Evan. Mega Man's Thanks. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um Fisher, what's your number three? Yeah. So I well, my number three is a role playing game uh called Fiasco. Uh, I'm sure uh, plenty of people out there uh, have played it, but I'm also kind of cheating with this pick because I'm going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because like, if I'm being honest with myself and like just trying to quantify the amount of impact a game has had on my life, I think Dungeons and Dragons probably beats fiasco. Uh, I've, played a ton of Dungeons and Dragons, um, as have a lot of role players. I got started with second edition when I was really young. My friend's dad, uh, actually the same friend's dad who introduced me to acquire my, uh, my number five pick for most influential game also ran our first Dungeons and Dragons session for us as kids. Um, and then, you know, I played third edition, 3.5, fourth, I, I played every edition and ran, more campaigns than I can possibly remember. So Dungeons and Dragons has had a really big impact on me. And it really informed uh, how I think about role-playing games. But I also think that it has obviously really informed how everybody thinks about role-playing games. Mm-hmm. A lot of role-playing games and a lot of, like, you know, beyond D&D in high school, I played Shadowrun and Star Wars and World of Darkness games and, um, you know, etc. But a lot of these all kind of get their DNA from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and so while it's probably the most impactful, I chose Fiasco because I think Fiasco has had the greater impact on me, like time spent playing to impact on my design and how I think about role-playing games um, than Dungeons and Dragons has. Because I think Fiasco for me was the first moment that showed me that role-playing games could break out of that Dungeons and Dragons formula of these kind of characters and leveling up and abilities and everything and showed it as this kind of collaborative storytelling experience. Um, so for people who haven't played Fiasco, it's a really interesting system. It There is no dungeon master like there might be in, in Dungeons and Dragons. Instead, you all come up with characters through this collaborative system where you're writing different things your characters have in common with each other and putting them on postcards between you and the person sitting next to you. And then, so you end up with kind of this matrix of things your character cares about between you and the people next to you. And then you kind of come up with your characters and how they relate to each other based on these shared needs between each other. And the premise of the game is basically 
you're basically playing a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> mm. It is you're all setting up these these people who all want things. You're setting up this horrible house of cards of people who want these different conflicting things and then you play it out and disaster ens- ensues almost immediately and usually half your characters end up dead or uh, hor- other horrible things happen to them throughout the course of the game it- it- it's a coen brothers movie uh and so you set up cool. your characters by doing kind of this collaborative process and then you each take turns playing out scenes and people have kind of this currency they can spend to choose whether they think the scene has earned a good ending or a bad ending. And then other people will jump in to play the supporting characters in the scene. And it's kind of this group collaborative storytelling experience. It's really fun. And if you haven't played it, it's the perfect one shot game. And I I really do recommend it. Uh, But for me, the reason it is on my most influential game list is it really opened up my perspective on what RPGs can be. And I think I can see the impact of Fiasco, not only in the games I've played since then, because it's had an impact on the industry, and there's a lot of other games that kind of shake up the formula of what a role-playing game can be since then, but it's also impacted how I've designed. I worked on several different role-playing game lines, including uh, the Star Wars RPG, the Warhammer 40,000 RPG, and uh, a kind of apocalypse-themed RPG called End of the World. And we in those games worked in a lot of different kind of narrative mechanics uh, in the Star Wars RPG or uh, the system later became called Genesis uh, without the Star Wars license. You have these destiny points that you can spend to get a mechanical bonus, but you can also spend to kind of retroactively alter facts and play around with kind of, it, it empowers the players to play around with the story in a way that traditionally the dungeon master hasn't been able to. And it's things like that, these kind of abilities that play around with how much control different members of the table have over the storytelling and kind of democratizing the storytelling to the players. That, I think, for me, is Fiasco's influence on how I'm thinking about role-playing games. So while D&D is probably my sheer time spent and uh, formatting how my brain functions, D&D is probably more impactful. I think Fiasco earned the spot just because it changed how I think about it the most. Awesome. Have you guys ever played that? Yeah, I played. Awesome. I have not played. I've always wanted to, but I've, not, I've never played. I've flipped through those books many, many times in the game store. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it was a really engaging and entertaining experience for me and i'm a i'm a rpg player who isn't very good at improv which is a great skill to bring to a role-playing session um so i always marvel at people who just roll with that Mm. um but but fiasco really forces it out of you and Hmm. it's you you're given these i believe fisher am i correct you have bonds or or relationships with some of the other players characters like your character is like the, a relative or a friend or a enemy inherently. And it just helps breed a cool like narrative. Yeah. Those kind of cards you put in between each other at the beginning of the game can be like a bond like that, uh, you know, yeah. a shared connection or a shared need. Like we both n- know about uh, our secret family treasure buried under the old house, <laughs> or we have a shared like possession. We both know where the leaky old stick of dynamite is or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
everybody gets like two of these connections, I think, between themselves and their neighbor. So you have four in total. And so everybody's kind of interrelated in this web. And it gives you like suggestions for like for each scenario the game presents you with, which like what I've seen it, they have a bunch of supplements that essentially just put characters in different basic scenarios. Uh, Do they kind of give you prescribed ones or are you encouraged to make up your own relationships from between the players yeah every setting has a bunch of different suggestions so that you kind of create a tableau that matches with that setting but it does encourage you to you know be creative if an idea strikes the table and everybody thinks it's cool or funny to you know feel free to change it but you roll on these tables to generate this kind of randomized set of things that interrelate to you and that the uh supplemental like all the extra um settings they and scenarios they've made and also fans tons of fans have made different like settings to imitate coen brothers movies other movies like just basically any setting you could possibly want to play in somebody has made a fiasco scenario for it (laughs) and it's it's one of my i think i think it's my favorite possession that i ever got from the free table at ffg Oh wow. The uh the, the 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 free table at FFG was just this table that people could bring in things they didn't want anymore and uh put it on the table and then other people could take it. Uh and it was slightly infamous because you know if you kind of think about if you extrapolate out, naturally that table just ends up with all the things that no one wants sitting on it forever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but on occasion you find a gem in on the free table, and the gem I found was a binder. I, I should have brought it up. Uh, Evan, you had like show and tell prepared. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I have a binder and it is like it is thick. It's like maybe four or five inches thick filled with fiasco scenarios that uh, I actually believe Zach Table Thomas left on the free table. Uh, this is Evan's current dungeon master. Uh, uh, I think he finally got like a nice printed version of all of them. So he had left his handcrafted binder of fiasco scenarios on the free table. Oh, and so wow. I, I got that and uh, I have put it to good use. Nice. It's infinitely more valuable than a printed off thing. Like to see his notes and collation methods and stuff like that. That'd be great. Very cool. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> been, awesome. it, it's been very fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, great, great pick Fisher. Um, let's hear Andrew's number three. Yeah, so I'm I'm continuing in my uh, my chrono my chronological order. Uh, so yes. my number three is War Machine. Yay! Which is yeah. a uh, miniatures game by cool. Privateer Press. Yeah, that I really got into for a couple of years. I was pretty much obsessed with it. From about, I think, 2005 through like 2007, where I spent pretty much all of my free time building, painting miniatures, building armies, and then uh, playing every weekend. And this game's it means a lot to me, is influential to me because it was, uh, I got into it when I, uh, first started working at FFG and prior to working at FFG miniatures games were just something which I think I mentioned last week when I was talking about Blood Bowl and how 
it has that really low barrier to entry where to play it, you only need, you know, like 12, 16 models to paint. Uh, so it, because of that, it was much more affordable, but I always aspired to play more majestic full on, you know, tabletop games. You know, so the only option that I was really available for a long time, um, in the mainstream anyway, well, as mainstream as these get was, you know, Warhammer 40 K Warhammer fantasy. So I would look to those and be like, man, I wish I could play those games. Like Warhammer fantasy in particular, I had this kind of wish list army built on a, uh, website app or it was like a spreadsheet it was it was in the early 2000s so it was like i think it was a spreadsheet you downloaded and you could plug in stuff into it so i had like these kind of dream armies and i'd look at that and like man that is hundreds and hundreds of dollars <laughs> i cannot hmm. afford to buy this thing <laughs> uh-huh. at all uh especially especially at the time um because i was mostly like well i was working at starbucks for a long time and then i was unemployed for a while so like buying miniatures not necessarily yeah. the, the top of the priority list but i always wanted to play them so when i started working at ffg it kind of and i think you guys can probably relate to this too it opens up this whole other world of well i can just get things now <laughs> yeah uh because you can get them either through trade which effectively is is almost free because we'd buy our own products and then trade them with other people uh, in, at different publishers for the things that they wanted from us, and we'd get the things from them, and then it was just a great relationship. Uh, but also when I started at FFG, something that they got rid of after we grew to a certain size. But we were able to order from uh, the Alliance, Alliance distribution as employees. So we get you know distributor prices, so essentially the same price that a retailer would play, pay for something that we could also buy, which is a lot cheaper. It's, you know, it's effectively like 50% off uh, everything. So there was a, uh, so I was kind of like eyeing War Machine a little bit at the source. Um, it had a really cool look to it. It is art by Matt Wilson, who was one of my favorite, like early 2000s, like late 90s uh, artists who worked with wizards of the coast. He did stuff for dungeons and dragons. I really loved his stuff. He did stuff for magic, the gathering. And then he formed privateer press and then was the lead, essentially the lead artist and designer for, uh, for the setting for, you know, for the look of everything. And so his stuff had this really cool look to it and I was really drawn to it. But then I started working in FFG another graphic designer there, a guy named Scott Nicely, award-winning graphic designer, Scott Nicely, as he would like to be referred to. (laughs) Uh, He played War Machine and he would have, uh, he'd take time out during the day to like paint or, you know, assemble stuff at his desk. So I'd see some of the stuff he's working on there. I was like, oh, that's really cool. You in the War Machine? He's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Well, screw it. I'll, yes, I want to get into a miniatures game. I'll do it. So, uh, I just started ordering, uh, I picked my faction, which was Cricks, which are these kind of like skeletal machine guys. They harvest souls and then use those souls to do certain effects. Uh, let me make sure to back it up. So war machine is a tabletop, <laughs> tabletop <laughs> miniatures game. 
you know, in the in the vein of something like a, a Warhammer or Warhammer 40k, but much, I think, I'll just better designed at the time. It was a little bit more modern. Uh, War, War, Warhammer has been kind of more or less the same for many, many years. They've updated it with lots of different additions, but especially at the time, it was it was it was more of a game that was balanced. And you had a lot of uh, ability to affect the outcome on the table. Uh, Warhammer's more about creating a cool spectacle and telling stories and just rolling dice and seeing what happens. War Machine, yeah, an is, interactive diorama, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a great <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, and War Machine is is more tactical. Um, like you, and uh, you had a lot of abilities to. Uh, you had a so you have a warcaster, which is your your main guy. I have a couple warcasters up here who are always looking at my lich lord asphyxius right here, cool. who I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys just hang out with me here, look, look down <laughs> at me every day. Um, so you have these warcasters, and then they have this cadre of machines, these war machines, the titular war machines mm-hmm. that they can move around the board and then they can cast their spells through them and they can allocate points to them to do cool abilities and stuff. And you have certain points you can use every turn and uh, it has a really great rhythm to the game. And especially at the time. And then a couple years later, they uh, released the, uh, the version of the rule book that I showed, which I think was probably the best time for the game, but I loved it. Uh, I really, really got into it. I loved the aesthetic. I loved the lore. I loved the story that they told, and I really enjoyed the people that I met uh, when I was when I was playing that game. And uh, I met some great guys at this old store called Phoenix, which uh, no longer exists, but I think became Tower Games. Uh, but, but I think ownership has changed since then, so I don't know if it really yeah. has any connection to Phoenix anymore. But. Uh, the guys I met, I met the guys in Nick and Clint. So those guys were awesome. I also met Sam Gregor Stewart when he was just Sam Stewart. Uh, and I met him through playing War Machine. Uh, I met Tim Flanders playing War Machine. Uh, just a lot of great dudes. And that community was uh, really awesome. And playing that, that store was great. But at the time that I was playing also... Uh, that's when I was, you know, started work as a graphic designer at, at FFG and I was getting like bigger and bigger projects, but I really wanted to be, uh, art director. Like I was putting a lot of my thought and intention into opportunities in art direction. And I was, you know, talking to Christian, like, I really like to be art director, like to be art director, not really necessarily knowing what that meant. Mostly that I just really enjoyed working with artwork and uh, wanted enjoyed working with artists, and I thought that would be really cool to help you know guide the uh, the look of a game, which was something I was trying to do kind of covertly as a graphic designer. Um, so I had a lot of thought and intention into that, and also uh, my uh, wife became pregnant with our first kid in um, uh, in the fall of uh, two thousand six. So like while I was playing this game, so in the midst of my deep love for the game and the setting and the artwork uh i was on privateer press's website and i saw that they were looking for an art director so i was like well screw it i'll i'll i'm gonna i'm gonna apply for this job this is like essentially like the thing i was trying to manifest like it's Mm -hmm. art direction job with a game that i really really love 
and aesthetic they really, really like. Um, so why not go for it? So I applied for the job, uh, ended up uh, interviewing over the phone with uh, Matt Wilson, which, you know, at the time just really blew my mind uh, just talking to Matt Wilson on the phone because I was such a huge fan of his work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ultimately ended up um, being offered uh, the position. Uh, but, you know, I was living in Wisconsin at the time and would have to like relocate to uh, Seattle effectively or Bellevue is where they were. And we'd uh, just moved into our house uh, at the time. It was like our first house. My wife is pregnant and we were talking a lot about it. And, uh, you know, she acknowledged like, yeah, this would be like a really cool opportunity. Obviously, you know, you're really excited about it. It's our direction job. It's, you know, at this thing you really, really like. So I kind of took that as like a green light to, to accept the position. Uh, so I did, I, I accepted the position. And then immediately when we were talking, it was like, oh my God, what did I, what did I, what did I actually do? <laughs> what did I do? We just bought a house. You know, we're about to have our first baby. Uh, we'd be moving to a place where we knew nobody had no support. Um, the cost of living there is like very expensive. Yeah. So even though it would be a, you know, increase in pay, it would end up effectively being a wash. So, uh, after much soul searching and discussion, I had to, I remember being at a friend's house to play war machine and then going outside of the house to talk to Matt Wilson to tell him that I had to ultimately like turn down the job oh man and uh and i remember what he said he said he's like oh i feel like you're you're breaking up with me before we can go to the prom <laughs> like yeah i'm sorry but you know it's it just had given our life situation right now i can't i don't think i can really do it and uh it was a, a really significant moment for me uh for for multiple reasons you know at, at the time i remember talking to my dad about it and really, it, it, I think it was the first decision that I ever made that wasn't just purely selfish as a, like, a, like a young mm. adult where, yeah. you know, if I was untethered in any, in any way, I'd be like, yeah, just go and just go and do it. But, you know, really putting um, my family first, um, it felt like it was a major <laughs> turning point in my life where I felt like at this moment, I like where it was the first time I felt like I made a decision like as an adult. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, that really resonated with me and like really helped me feel good about the decision. Um, but then obviously, uh, just a few years later, I ended up becoming, you know, art director at FFG, you know, things progressed my career at FFG, mm-hmm. uh, took a, took a very, uh, fortuitous, uh, course. And obviously none of that would have happened if I had, if I had taken that, that job at privateer and, uh, many, many years later when I was the, um, I think first year I was back at Gen Con as like the head of studio at FFG, I talked to Matt Wilson and, and thanked him for that opportunity and you know how much that that meant to me uh i don't really know him very well so i think he was kind of taken aback by the <laughs> sincerity which i which i think i do to some people like uh i can i can be very real um yeah. even if i don't know you very well 
So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, uh, you know, told him you know, how much that meant to me and, you know, how much I, I appreciated the experience, even though we didn't end up working together. So, uh, so that's why, that's why War Machine is, is on my list. It, it's, uh, it, it not only is a game that I really enjoyed, um, that I really got into and I've, you know, even though I got an extreme discount on miniatures, I spent a lot of money on that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you know, it, it meant a lot to me personally and into, in my professional life as well. So hmm. War Machine, my number three. That's awesome. Damn. That was a great little story and a big story. And I'm glad I'm not following, following you with my bubble hockey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, I appreciate all the thought that goes in that. It's, it's awesome. You're like telling a story with, your, uh, with the games that have yeah really influenced you. Uh, you're, you're winning this so far, Andrew. So I'm trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Mega Man changes colors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start it with the two dopes and then go on. To <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. All right. We're, we're at almost towards the end of the show again because we got so much to say about our favorite games. And uh, let's do another like brief one. A yeah. brief what we're into. Um. Okay, I'll go first. Bouncing balls. No, I I, <laughs> I, I, I gave that up. Uh, life has really been the most uh, what I've been doing most lately. Real life, so that sucks. But games, I, I got to play this game called Trek to Yomi. It's uh, published by Devolver Digital, which I I love a lot of their games. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trek to Yomi is is maybe the most cinematic game i've video game i've ever played uh mm. it looks like a like a kurosawa film so it's black and white and it oh cool and it uh it's not it's kind of like resident evil where the first resident evil games where it's just you know there's a there's a uh, static camera angle and you kind of have to control the player within that so every shot looks like a beautiful akira kurosawa um you know cinematography I haven't played a lot of it yet, so I haven't really gotten into the meat of the game, but it's just absorbs you and it's really, really cool. And it's on Xbox Game Pass if you have that. So that's that's kind of all I've really, really played. Nice. That's cool. Have you played Ghost of Tsushima at all? No, I don't have anything pow- powerful enough to play that, really. <laughs> yeah, it feels like... Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to. They They talked a lot in that game, you know, about it being, you know, very inspired by kurosawa but then i think mm-hmm. part of the criticism of it when you actually played it is that it doesn't really frame up like kurosawa films very well yeah it's more like uh, a video game it yeah like. so i think i wonder if this was made partially in reaction to that or if uh, could be this is what's one of those things that was in development almost concurrently right i don't know it it looks great though you just watch the trailer you'll see yeah it's beautiful yeah it looks very cool yeah, and it's on Game Pass. How can I say no? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> check it out. I'm going to play more. There's no of need it to and... say no. <laughs> no. I know. It's awesome. I'll play more. We can talk about it next time, Fisher. <laughs> okay. Uh, Fisher, how about you? Yeah. Um, I I talked a while back about um, being excited about my brand new Tyranid Codex, and then I got COVID and, and I didn't get to play my brand new Tyranid Codex. <laughs> but I finally got them to the table this last weekend, and um, they're really good. I it was one of those games where like you get to the end of it and you're happy you won, but you also kind of feel bad. <laughs> uh, 
they they there's some good new units in there. I think they're a little undercosted, uh, um, but it was it was a lot of fun. There's a couple fun new units that like there's one that like uh, implants alien eggs in people's chests, like like <laughs> a, like you're in the movie Aliens, and so it was really fun to like swoop over people and plant eggs in them, and it makes them <laughs> not be able to score objectives. And it was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, awesome. That sounds very mean. <laughs> it was yeah, it was a little mean. <laughs> I, I definitely swung one of the turns using that uh, using that that the parasite of Mortex, the, the the new model. Um, haven't been playing many video games. Uh, been getting outside a lot just because of the beautiful weather. Uh, it's you know we have these this this brief window where it's nice out, but there aren't mosquitoes yet. So you got to mm-hmm. use these few weeks <laughs> before the oh, mosquitoes yeah. come. It's amazing outside right now. Here in Minnesota. I uh I went out to Taylor's Falls this weekend and went climbing. Uh a friend our friends uh set up anchors and uh we climbed on the cliffs out there and that was that was a ton of fun. Um but I, I feel like I should probably show off what I did to myself there. Um <laughs> well I was uh at the top of the cliff and I I swear I put my phone back in my backpack. And now that I say that, you all know where this is going. But I, I got, I got over the edge. You fell, leaning back to rappel down. And uh, our, our our friend, our, our friend is at the bottom. I just hear her yell, "Phone!" And for some reason in my head, I was like, "Oh well, my phone's safe in my backpack." So poor Emily must have dropped her phone. I feel so bad for her. And then I hear yeah. just this like sickening crunch, and. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like I'm I'm one of the Whoa. few people who can say that they've uh, dropped their phone, literally dropped their phone down a cliff. But does uh, it still and work? have it still function? I think it does. It it, it does actually still work. Uh, wow. So it's, I mean, like you can see, it's kind of <laughs> it's it's not doing great. It's kind of flickering. It's not bad yeah. though, considering how. Yeah, but how uh, f- I, I I called up cell phone repair shop and uh they want basically as much as the phone costs to fix it so <laughs> damn it's, it's total um Dang. but otherwise the, the climbing was beautiful the, the weather was awesome and we we found a, a nice uh piece of slab that like had like a big skill range on it so everybody could kind of like get a climb that challenged them so that, that was a ton of fun cool <laughs> were cool, you on cool. the uh, minnesota side yeah uh Yes, yeah, yeah. We were we went to Keyhole. If anybody uh, know knows uh, Taylor's Falls sites, I only know the uh, Wisconsin side. I never, I never, I always watch people rappelling down on the Minnesota side from the Wisconsin side. Yeah, we we could see some people over there, and then uh, the ferry comes through the middle, the ferry tours, mm-hmm. and then you know, like you're on the wall struggling with some move, and you hear a bunch of people like gawking at you, <laughs> like, "Oh, look at the guy on the wall." <laughs> <laughs> I love rock climbing there, but I don't, I just, you know, just, what, what do you call it when you don't use ropes or anything? You just kind of bouldering? Oh, bouldering. bouldering. Yeah. Yeah. I love bouldering there. Just learned that term right now. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Evan, your turn. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't been really getting outside or playing games. I guess the most outside time I've been getting lately is trying to seed some of the grass in the backyard, which... I don't know how to do and I keep forgetting and I watch a YouTube video and I think I'm doing it right. But um, more importantly, I'm getting ready to be a father. So uh, Megan and I are getting the the um, 
the room all prepped with things to mm-hmm. anticipate the newborn coming in July or early July, possibly so late June. So, yeah. So exciting. I know. It's it's intense. And I really appreciate that video you sent me, Anders, of your child ah, I hysterically about that. crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Get ready for it. When you first told me that you were going to have a child, I I think I just like launched into telling you how shitty it is at first. <laughs> we texted for a while. <laughs> just so you just so you'd know what to expect a little bit. Cuz I think I, I found that people don't really warn you correctly. They say like, "Oh, it's hard, but it's worth it." And that's all they say. I found it to be extremely hard at first. I've been getting all all spectrums and you're definitely on one end of the spectrum all the way to the end. The other <laughs> Everyone Not lies, I think. End. I think everyone's lying. <laughs> I, they I forget. Don't know, People forget. I, I, I don't know, Anders. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm terrified to have a kid. Mm. And like, like so, so like, I definitely feel like everybody's fed me like having a kid is, is terrifying. But like, mm. I don't know. I hear from like, like Andrew has, has great things to say about having children. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, yeah, it is challenging. I will, uh, it is challenging, but it's worth it. Um, right. <laughs> no, I, uh, I think a lot of it also just depends on your child. Like, their mm-hmm. their own temperament and their personality like uh yeah. i there is amnesia don't get me wrong and so like even yeah. when it's hard <laughs> anders like don't worry in a couple of years you'll have forgotten everything oh i already uh, have yeah right yeah i'm super forgetful so i'm looking forward <laughs> yeah, to that yeah. it'll be it'll be gone before you know it but yeah my uh with my my oldest like he was pretty he was pretty chill um but my youngest man he and i were like from the beginning like we're we're <laughs> super the, we have very similar personalities so we 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 butt heads a lot and that was true even when he could not speak mm. so <laughs> yeah he he was he and i were just like ah, ah like even when he was <laughs> you know a couple months old that was very very challenging for me yeah those I, first couple of months are, are rough your youngest is a ball of charisma. I we, we were like we were working in Andrew's dining room one day, and he just comes over and just starts like asking about the game and talking about it. And I was like, we should have you selling this game. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was so slick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, we've already we've talked about that a lot. I think uh, if he can come out to a convention, he'll he'll definitely work the booth. <laughs> oh yeah, awesome. no, he he would sell copies. He he, he sold he sold me on the game, you know. <laughs> I'll watch him and take notes. <laughs> Andrew, what? Have yeah, you been so into? I uh, I've been enjoying the weather as well. Um, yeah, lately uh, I've just felt just you know because when we recorded the podcast two weeks ago, it was still cold, and I think almost yeah. immediately afterwards, then it warmed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've just felt compelled to spend time outdoors, not even necessarily doing anything. I've been doing some like meditation outside, which has been really nice. Mm-hmm. And also helping Rachel with, uh, with the garden. Uh, she has a pretty extremely elaborate series of gardens, uh, mm-hmm. in our yard and along our alley, which take a lot of work. Uh, she spends a lot of time out there in the, in the warm months. So that's been fun. Cool. Um, I've been still watching the NBA playoffs. There's a lot of basketball games. The NBA playoffs <laughs> last forever. Mm. Uh, but those have been fun. Uh, I've really been enjoying it. I have no real stake in it, but I've really been enjoying uh, Luka Doncic play 
uh, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty amazing uh, for all you basketball fans out there. Um, and then, uh, I wasn't feeling great this weekend. Uh, so on Saturday I, I rested a lot and I booted up Skyrim and played some yes. Skyrim oh, wow. on Saturday and spent many, many hours resting on the couch playing Skyrim. And, uh, that game's great. It's, it's like comfort food. Uh, I think just going back to it, it's very, it's just so low impact and comfortable. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was just what I needed. So I was, I was playing, I started a new character and mm. went straight to the mages guild quest and was playing through that. And that was, that was a lot of fun. They, I, my, uh, my son purchased the 10th anniversary edition. So there's some new stuff in it. So I was playing in survival mode. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, it that might be enough to get me back. It's uh, <laughs> you know, monitor more meters. You get cold, <laughs> which kind of stinks. Uh, but it's also just adds an element to that wasn't there before, so that makes it it, it makes the your clothing choices more strategic, which I mm. thought was kind of cool. So like having a fur, like I never wore mm. fur armor before, but now I'm wearing fur armor because it's mm. has the highest warmth rating. Never really bought food before or made food. But now you have to eat. Mm. Um, it, you just kind of have to do it a little bit. I think a little, maybe a little too frequently. You're you're mm. kind of all, kind of always eating and have to sleep. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, it does add an interesting element to the game where if you're out caught out in the cold, you might just pick a lock to a house to get in just just to get warm. <laughs> Whereas before you might have just walked past. So that's been that's been pretty mm. cool. Uh, yeah, and I could see inventory management. You know, I already was always at the limit, and so I could see food pushing inventory yeah. management more. Yeah, they did add items to help with that. They added these backpacks that increase your oh, okay. carrying capacity pretty much right from the beginning. Um, so they accounted for that a bit. Yeah, that's been that. That's pretty cool. I don't think I'm going to play much more. I might finish the mage quest line, but I may have already had my fill. I've played hundreds of hours of Skyrim, so yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's I've all. Never... I've ever never touched it really oh no wow i I remember evan you're crazy about it when it first came out way back yep i remember you telling me about it but i've never had like i've never had pc you know i never had capabilities to play it Um, well it's a 10 year old game now and i think it's on xbox ps3 game pass i I think i think it's on i think you can play it on your microwave these days (laughs) yeah i know that's like maybe now's the time because i think it is on game pass (laughs) yeah all right, cool. That brings us to the end of another episode of what's this show called again? Earthborn <laughs> Games Podcast. Uh, please reach out to us. I did have a brain fart right there. Um, reach out to us, info at earthborngames.com. We appreciate you all listening to us week after week. Uh, we love you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Thank you.